you know, instead of us having 10 machines rendering a thousand frames, I can have a thousand machines render one frame. Mm. And you get your CG renders back as long as it takes one frame wow. to render. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nicotra, here with my co-host, the one, the only, Shane Reitzamer. Shane, how are you, brother? Doing great, man. Doing great. Excited to be in the studio today with a good friend of ours. Yes, back in the studio today with a very special guest. We have my good friend, Mr. Wes Myers, in the building. He is one of the most talented visual effects artist in the game right now, compositing King. And so, Wes, welcome to the studio, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Don't oversell me, too. I don't want <laughs> to disappoint. <laughs> no, nah, man. Wes is... Uh, we, we've had a chance to work on a, a pretty cool project together back in the day, and I was blown away when I saw the beginning of the shot and final product. I was like, yo, Wes is... He's on every every visual effects project that I got going forward from here on out, man. It's so. true. It's true. Anytime we talk about you know VFX or something we're gonna produce, and we're like, well, let's let's ask Wes with Burning Tractor. Yeah. Let's see uh, let's see what he thinks. So, yeah. man, you you definitely top of mind when we're uh, discussing you know short films, features, commercial projects. Really, yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah, man. When I think of visual effects, I think of Wes. So, Wes, uh, just to name drop a couple of the companies that you've worked with. I mean, we've got Amazon, Netflix, HBO, Showtime. Apple. Apple, major movies. Oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about just some of the major films that you've done as well. Uh, so just in the past uh, few years, um, so The Morning Show, uh, C, Jason Momoa, um, uh, Dexter season three. Oh, nice. So sick. Um, Amazon's Panic. Uh, recently, Emancipation with Will Smith. Mm. Um, so epic. And then, really recently, uh, Air with um, Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon. So that yeah. is incredible, man. Well, we are honored to have you in the studio today. Welcome to the Rough Cut Club. We kind of want to dive into just some of your story, and before we get into some of those fun, exciting topics. I just want you to take me all the way back to like the mm. beginning of your filmmaking journey. Sure. Give me a little bit of your backstory and kind of how you got in the game, man. Sure. Well, uh, you know, it all started with a tractor, basically. I grew up on a farm in East Texas, and uh, we had horses. And um, so my brother and I, we essentially did all the chores, um, but we we showed horses. And so our parents bought uh, digital cameras and like the first IMAX, and uh, they were very tech savvy. So when we were kids... We always kind of had the state-of-the-art, like, Apple technology or whatever. And so um, they were using the cameras to make horse videos. Uh, we started very early on with digital video, and uh, we're obsessed with music videos, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, um, that kind of thing. And so that's sort of like the hobby that, you know, sort of led to today. Um, so originally, I wanted to be a musician. I never wanted to do VFX, ever. You know, now I own a VFX company. Great. But <laughs> yeah. it's not, uh, it was not the dream. So I, I played drums and uh, wanted to produce music uh, growing up. When I went to school, uh, they didn't have a music business program. And I didn't want to be in band because I didn't want to be a band director or play an orchestra. So college for me was sort of a trip. I kind of went through a bunch of different realms, advertising, radio, television, film, um, pre-med, business, and ended up a linguistics major. So wow, yeah. I did not know that. Dabbled in it all, man. That's awesome. So uh, yeah, it was sort of uh, somewhat pathless. I actually took time off, uh, got into the music scene, gigged with bands, um, had a couple almost successes, but then failures. 
uh, did some acting and modeling in my time. And same thing, I got cast on a reality show. Thought I was going to make half a million bucks, like in my early twenties. And uh, then the show got canceled right before it started. So that was sort of where my uh, VFX journey began because my parents were like, "We're tired of you. Get a real job." <laughs> Amazing. Get a real job. Can we know what the uh, reality show was? They got canceled. Uh, yeah, it was called The Vault Twelve, and mm-hmm. uh, it was leading up to Doomsday, um, twenty twelve. And so they were going to take twelve people, lock them in a um, an old missile silo underground. And so uh, it was going to be a year-long experiment like Big Brother. So they were going to do episodes, but alongside of that, there was going to be like security camera footage so you could log online subscription style and see what we were doing anytime. So it was five guys, seven girls. And if you survived, half a million bucks. Wow, kind of, that's a pretty good. I know that's a really good yeah. concept, actually. I'm, that's amazing I'm that you sad were, that we didn't get to see that. I but know. yeah, I'm glad you weren't locked away for a year. Probably would have slowed the business right. down. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I started in visual effects at a company called Worldwide Effects. It was in Shreveport, Louisiana, and um, my brother was there. He was the supervisor at the time, and I got hired into a night shift. And so I made minimum wage. Um, I was across the street from a Walmart parking lot in this old asbestos building, and um, I mean, I, I went there, I interviewed, it wasn't something I wanted to do. And I was like, this is not, I was like, this is not me. I really, I really don't want to do this. But um, the way they worked is you would get two weeks to do tutorials. If you got through those, they give you two more weeks and they give you something a little bit harder. And then they'd give you two more weeks and a slight pay bump. And then if you got through that six week period, you're full time and then you're on the show. And so we were working on uh, The Mechanic with Jason Statham, uh, Drive Angry, which was a Nick Cage film. Um, we ended up doing um, Conan the Barbarian with Jason Momoa at there. All the Gerard Butler, like Olympus Has Fallen. Um, oh, yeah. All wow. those. They came out of that studio. And so... Were you actually on the team that worked on Olympus Has Fallen? Uh, I had left by that point. Oh, okay. So, um, but that's kind of where I, I cut my teeth. And it was, you know, I, I, I didn't like it at first, but I saw that there was a ladder to climb. Yeah. Um, and... There was probably about 60 compositing artists there. Um, within a couple years, uh, I was in the top five of those people. Wow. And uh, so really just, you know, it was it was sort of, a, it was definitely a grind. Um, it was like a school cafeteria where you're just elbow to elbow with the next guy. They're very strict. It was like show up at eight, um, headphones on, go to work. You take a break at 10 to 10, 15. You get a lunch break, 12 to 1. And, you know, it just, the system went like it's that. factory. And there was no talking, you know, no nothing in between. Like you Whoa. were just at your machine and they gave you shot quotas and, and you had to knock them out. Um, but I was a good problem solver. And so they would throw me harder and harder shots. And so I was doing, you know, really technical sequences. Like in uh, Conan the Barbarian, uh, Conan's, uh, or the, the princess's stunt double broke her leg. So they put Conan's stunt double on a horse in a dress at, to be the princess <laughs> to ride through this forest and then take a fall. And then they'd come to me, and it was uh, Bulgarians that um, ran the shop. So they're like, make him princess, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Dang. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know? So, and they're like, you have 40 hours, like, you know, do it. And it's like, wow. all right. You know, and that shot's in the film somehow. It looks terrible, but. <laughs> Dang. That's crazy, man. Um. But yeah, so from there, uh, I, I had a, it was actually a, a, a girl that took me to Dallas. I won't get too much into that, but it was a long distance relationship. Uh, I ended up getting a job at a company called Element X Creative and kind of took a risk going there. Um, it was a contract gig for a show. Um, but after they finally got me in the door, I was there about two weeks and they're like, do you want a full-time job? And I was like, yes, this would be great. 
So uh, Element was a great place. Uh, my boss was a guy named Chad Briggs. Um, he really took me under his wing. And um, so not only was I their visual effects supervisor, I uh, became a creative director. I started editing. I learned motion graphics, uh, started doing color. Um, the creative direction was really fun. Got to direct commercials. Mm. Um, and then started doing part of the bidding process and also sales meetings and then going on sales trips. And so they, it was sort of the owners of the company and they kind of put me like right under their wing. And so for five or six years, I was there and learned a ton about the business, um, you know, organization, efficiencies, that kind of thing. Um, but by the end of it, I, I'd burn out. Um, you know, as you know, and a lot of people know in the film industry, the days are long. That sometimes there's no weekends, there's no vacations, especially in visual effects and post-production. It's a deadline-driven industry. Mm. And so if you're sort of the end of the line, which I was at that studio, every job that went through there, I would probably touch at the end for finishing or, or some regard. Yeah. So 16-hour days, no weekends for years on end. I was overweight. I was pale. It's like, I can't. <laughs> haven't seen the sun in, in a yeah, long time. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. seen the sun. And I, I just wasn't really, you know, my career hadn't progressed to a point where I, I thought it should. And um, so I left. And I was like, maybe the film industry is not for me. And so I actually packed up all my stuff. I left town. I moved back home with my parents. And I started a graphic t-shirt company. And what year was this? This was about seven years ago. Okay. Wow. A graphic t-shirt company. And, and for those just listening on, uh, you know, podcast outlets and not seeing the YouTube version, West now has a tan and he looks to be in good shape. Yes. So <laughs> the, there's good, uh, there's a good ending to the story ahead, I yeah. believe. So that's awesome. So t-shirt company, what's, what was, the, how'd that go? Well, how long did that last? Uh, it lasted about nine months. And so uh, it was my first try at like really starting a business from the mm. ground up. And I'd, I'd run into a guy that made t-shirts and I went to his studio and he had the printers and he had some employees. And, um, you know, it was like a bathroom stall girl uh, that was like falling over and it said, bitches be tripping, you know? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, man, I'm just like printing money. And I was like, I was like, what I do is hard. I was like, this does not seem hard. Mm, you know? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I was like, I can design this stuff all day long, you know, just like, and t-shirts, fun, it's like yeah. puns, everything else. So uh, I took all my savings and I bought a t-shirt printer. I was like buying a car and we set it up out at my folks' place. They live in the swamp in uh, Uncertain, Texas near Caddo Lake. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I started doing that. Um, kind of partnered with my mom. Uh, we blew through all the money very quickly. And it was about six, seven months in, um, I probably had 900 bucks left in my name. And we had just started selling on Amazon. It was probably going to be our first successful month. And I got a call from a... Uh, studio. And they said, hey, um, we've heard of you. Uh, we hear you're a VFX supervisor. We have a sci-fi show that's filming uh, in Austin. Our onset guy can't go. Could you fill in for us? And so this is a VFX mm -hmm. company calling me. And I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, I need, I need money. So yes, that'd be great. And then about two hours later, another VFX company from LA calls me and they're like, hey, we're looking for someone in Texas. We got your name. We hear you're a VFX supervisor. There's a sci-fi thing filming in Austin. Um, can you be our guy? And I was like, Sounds like the same thing. Mm. Sure, yeah, yeah, I can, yeah. Um, so then I get a call from production, and they're like, hey, we're bidding three VFX vendors. Two of them said, you're the VFX suit. Who are you? And I was like, well, I'm out here, and I'm uh, printing T-shirts with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, um, so they, uh, yeah, so they gave me, they wanted me to come in for an interview, and essentially what happened is um, they pulled me in, and they're like, we we're just going to hire you. Um, all of our vendors are over budget. We want you to do not only soup, but do all the vendor negotiations and sort of like the creative direction and art design for VFX to sort of guide the thing into budget. Hmm. Um, 
So I was like, sure, great, sounds good. So um, started working with the vendors. I couldn't get anybody close to the budget. And this was a wild, uh, the show was actually called Crunch Time um, around 2015, but it's a sci-fi comedy where like you put on a headset and you go into like the dream world and it's essentially the matrix and anything can happen. And so the creative and the comedy was just like insane, you know? So it's just really anything can yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, and as a VFX company, now those, those are the types of shows that we're terrified of because, you know, we're like, oh, we don't know about this. Yeah. But, what are they going to write, right? right? What's next? Yeah. Um, so what happened is by the end of it, uh, I couldn't get anyone to the budget and I knew how to do the stuff. And so the hard sequences I sent to the lowest bidder and then I created my own separate bid for the rest of the work um, that was more like in my personal um, repertoire. And the producers agreed. And so I walked away with that show making more money in a month than I had ever in a year. Wow. That's um, awesome. And so with that, I was able to buy machines, um, buy software. I was hired, hired some freelance artists, and that was sort of the birth of Burning Tractor. Um, I didn't know if that was going to be a thing or not. Uh, at that point, my intention was actually still to go back to T-shirts because I, I felt like that was about to take off and the lifestyle was not VFX post-production, you know, that yeah. I was trying to escape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I ended up getting calls from previous clients in Dallas um, that I had worked with, like, through the other company, and they wanted me to start bidding against, you know, the other competitors. And so, yeah, the budgets, they just exploded. Mm. Um, and so that was sort of that was sort of it. And I was like, well, I was like, I can't ignore this. And so um, yeah. I left the T-shirt stuff, sold it, uh, came back, and that was when I officially kind of created Burning Tractor. And so the first year, I was on my own, saving money, saving money, saving money. A uh, really good friend of mine named uh, Robert Reynolds. He's my number two guy. He had gone um, to a different studio, but we actually, we both worked together at Element X. And so I was kind of keeping him in the loop of everything. And when I finally felt comfortable, I was like, hey, I can bring you on. And I can afford to pay you for one year. Will you do it? And uh, the guy said yes. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so at that point, there was two of us. And that was uh, kind of the beginning. And so what does your business look like today? So that was close to seven years ago. Yes. Fast forward to today. You guys have your own studio in Dallas. Yes. And what does your team look like? What, what's the business like today? Uh, so it is... Massive compared to that. Um, full-time is is only 10 people. Um, so it's 10 full-time artists uh, or producers, artists, et cetera. Um, but we have a huge outsource model. So we will actually crew up 100 to 200 folks overseas um, wow. for different amount of shows. And so, wow. you know, as we kind of work through the process, um, originally sort of like you try to keep your hands on everything. Um, but as new challenges arise, you have to problem solve. Mm. And so we built some uh, great networks with some companies in India. Um, and so sort of the, the grunt labor, uh, like rotoscoping, paintwork, tracking, um, all those things get outsourced. So it allows us to output 50 to 100 shots a week instead of 100 shots in a month. You wow. know, if it was just us, we wouldn't be able to do it. And yeah. so um, using that, our artists are then sort of the senior level technicians that do the final assembly. Wow. That is such a cool like story from start A to, you know, start A. Start A is not even a word. From point A to point B, man. It's cool to just hear like everything that y'all have built in the last seven years. Um, and it's super inspiring. So uh, on that note, we kind of talked earlier on about like, you know, how you go about getting your clients, uh, you know, 
to be able to put, output that many, you know, how, how, how you have that many clients requesting videos. Tell me a little bit about um, like the certification process that you guys kind of sure. underwent. Um, so the, the gaining clients, we've actually never done sales ever. Um, the entire business has grown word of mouth. It was word of mouth that took me from t-shirts back into it. And um, the way it originally started is, uh, so I was first at, at Worldwide Effects. Worldwide did a terrible thing where they laid everybody off. It was like show finished, and there's like 80 of us, and everyone got laid off except mm. for a couple of us. Mm. Like literally, it was like five left. Wow. And But all that network dispersed, and a lot of those top people are now supervisors at major studios all over the world. Wow. Mm. And so that was the original sort of like network burst that at the time was a tragic thing, but ended up being a very good thing for us. And so uh, we started working on um, like Netflix-type shows or, or you know stuff that was on cable TV, like USA shows, things like that. But it was all under the table um, where... Some of those people that worked at these different VFX companies knew of us, and so they would outsource their work to us under the table. So non-confidentiality, NDA'd, uh, that thing, but no credit. And so um, I knew that we were very close to like where we would get those shows. You know, I was like, but I, I thought we were probably a year or so away, and this was you know probably four years into the company. Um, and I was like, we're we're there, but we're not ready yet. You know, we we need more infrastructure, we need more organization. And but we got a call, and it was the head of VFX for Amazon Original Content. So the guy's wow. name was Mark Sadegi. So he calls me and goes, Hey Wes, my name's Mark Sadegi. I'm the head of VFX for all Amazon original content. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm doing great. How are you, Mark? Um, he's like, well, uh, so we have an Amazon show in Texas and uh, we think you guys are going to be a great part of the team. Um, so, uh, looked at your reel, looks great. Tell us about yourself. So I padded us a little bit. You yeah. Know? I was like, hey, we got an office, we got this many people, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, great, great, great. That all sounds good. He goes, are you TPN certified? I was like, no. I was like, what's that? Oh, it's no big deal. Just get it done and, uh, you know, we'll make it happen. And so, um, it's Trusted Partners Network is the certification. And essentially, uh, like with the Sony hack or like Disney had their own certifications, Marvel, et cetera, um, what it is, it's uh, 402 touch points. Um, 201 of those are physical security and 201 of those are cybersecurity. And so this is essentially Pentagon level security um, that guarantees uh, the security of studio content if it comes through your pipeline. Wow. And so this is data IO. Um, this is badges on employees. This is key lock doors. This is security cameras. Um, these are firewalls. This is cybersecurity perpetual monitoring. This is annual audits uh, that you have to pay for in addition. Wow. And so um, a huge lift, especially, you know, like I'm a kid from East Texas, farm boy. Uh, I've always been a creative person, but I'm not a technical, you know, like I got yeah. to like claw my way through the technical. And so like getting through this um, was a pain. And I was also on set uh, starting to pre-production on this show, which is a massive show. And so I'm not even at the studio. So I'm just calling the guys. Like, I'm like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. You know, just like get this and this and this. And uh, our server at this time was a wooden box that, I mean, it was, looked like a cat box that was just like <laughs> screwed in and, you know, we plugged it in. We're like, oh, it works. You know, it's great. Yeah. So uh, we had our first audit and we failed miserably. <laughs> I mean, this guy absolutely skewered us. Uh, 
Diedrich Thomas is his name. Great guy. Really. Uh, Shout out Diedrich. Yes. <laughs> Diedrich, you're the man. Um, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> uh, Diedrich does all our audits now, and he's he's incredible. But awesome. he, you know, he can't, uh, as an auditor, they can't help you. So it's like, well, Diedrich, if you know how it's supposed to work, can you set it up? And he goes, uh, check out this web page. You know, and then, and then it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's like you start with a 90-page PDF, and then you click on the one thing, which leads you to another 90-page PDF. Yeah. Oh, man. I've had, I've had like, inspectors on my house do very similar things where they're like, well, this is all the stuff that's wrong, but we can't really tell you how to fix it. And right. it's like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're like, oh. Yeah. So, um, so we had to call in some experts, or we called in some cybersecurity guys. Um, so the physical wasn't too difficult. It's like, you know, keypads, doors, cameras. Yeah. I was like, that's, you know, Home Depot stuff. But uh, the cyber, you know, very, very difficult to make sure it all works properly and is secure. And so, yeah, we uh, we plowed through it. We got it set up. And it was sort of, um, you know, thank you, Amazon and Amazon Studios for trusting us and allowing us to do this. Um because they were essentially, they had, you know, the big, the big, like, you know, ILM or the mill or whoever is just like on the line waiting to do the show. Cause they know, cause they can just call these companies and they'll do the show. But they were letting us like put through the paces and they gave it to us. And so that was our step in. And wow. um, what happened from there is once you get those security certifications, you're essentially on a vendor roster with the major studios. Wow. And so if Amazon's looking for a vendor, Apple's looking for a vendor, HBO, Netflix, et cetera, um, they can go through the trusted partners list and they know that when they call you, you're already secure, you're already certified, they're not having to re-audit you and you're a trustworthy um, company within the business. And not only are you trustworthy, but you're already outputting at an extremely high level. Um, so even quality and content, they're not as concerned about. Yeah. Um, so... That's, wow, it's kind of the the shoe in. I didn't even know about know. this. And, and so, you know, if you had to put like a ballpark number, like how much? I mean, you guys had to invest to get that. Oh yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was 100, 150 k. So it's um, a six figure. Uh, you know, and then investment. and then that's yeah. ongoing. Yeah, and so that's still like, like I have to pay uh, cybersecurity fees. You know, fifteen hundred a month just for cybersecurity fees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, crazy overhead. ongoing ongoing yeah overhead yeah. for it yeah uh, but totally worth it obviously if you're oh, you know getting 100 hit by amazon and right, apple and right yeah yeah it was just it's you know it's the risk reward not knowing if you're going to be able to get the job that's actually going to pay for all the money you just spent right yeah you know? right so Dang, that's yeah. crazy i just love how i mean this guy you know wes you you quit and you start <laughs> doing t-shirts right and then you get two calls from being in the right room with the right people, right? Networking. So we yeah. talk about that a lot, like, you know, knowing the right people in the industry and, you know, creating those relationships and those paid off, dragged you back into it, right? Into Austin. Yeah. And then same thing because of the people you knew. I'm guessing that's the connection that, you know, that's how Amazon reached out to you and said, hey, you know, uh, we want you to scale up to be able to do this gig. So yeah. you've constantly been like pulled into the industry and, I mean, I'll be honest, man. The fact that this guy doesn't have to do sales at all—that is—that's a beautiful <laughs> yeah. thing. People are not like knocking down his door trying to get in. So, congrats, man. Oh, thank you. And I, I think it's a cool testament too, because there's so many artists out there that are waiting for that next big break or have been, you know, struggling to get clients or get in the industry. And you know, your story—it's it, cool because you weren't even, you know, fighting for it. 
Um, but the opportunity presented itself to you, um, and you just never know like when that next call is coming that could change well, it's, everything. It's um, you know, for for those out there, it's it's where opportunity meets preparation. Yep. Yeah, you know, a hundred percent. And so the the reason I became successful was like I was a dog when I was on the box. Like when mm. I was an artist, every day I was a dog, and I wasn't going out there telling people I was the best. I was just a dog on the box. And so it was that. And then when they saw, hey, this guy outputs, it was that that started spreading the name. And yeah. that, and that's another thing, too. Like, I, I look back at even just, like, my early grind days, like, in college where I was, like, up editing till 7 o'clock in the morning and it was going on, you know, like, 13 hours straight and, you know, doing all of these passion projects, just grinding, trying to learn the craft, mm -hmm. hone my talents and whatnot. And there's... There's so much that goes into the early days of, you know, uh, just learning the craft. And that was something that I wanted to ask you about just because there's so much intimidation, I think, with VFX more than almost any other, um, you know, industry, if you will, within the film industry itself. VFX is scary. Like for for the average guy, you're like I like I've jumped into After Effects. I've it's still into it's it. still scary for me, right? right. <laughs> and so I kind of want to just talk about you know um, those early grind days, uh, like what drew you in, how you learned you know how to do all this stuff. Uh, I mean, because even seven years ago, the VFX industry isn't what it is today. Oh no, yeah. And so tell me a little bit about just some of those early grind years. Um, like learning the skills, man. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I was a linguistics major in college. So, you know, I, I didn't come out with a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I can read between the lines, you know, yeah. uh, can do accents. Yeah. Great. You know. Yeah. Um, but no, so it was it was learning on the job. Um, but then most of the tutorials and most of the content you can find online. Okay. And so um, it was sort of. One, when, like, if you have a, a nail and a hammer and, like, you know, any of us can pick up a nail and a hammer and we can hammer something in. But a guy that uses a nail and hammer every day, day in and day out, is, like, really going to use that tool. Yeah. So all of VFX software are nails and hammers. And, um, yes, there are more ins and outs, but there is a huge mountain of content out there um, for learning and technique. And so... Uh, a, What's interesting with visual effects and the software, a lot of it's node-based, um, is when you're when you're dealing with software like that, that's not linear. That it's it's almost like how your brain works, and everyone's brain works differently. And so you can achieve the same effect ten different ways. And so that's part of it. It's like, okay, I achieved the effect, but did I achieve it the most efficient way? Right. And so then for me, that was it was sort of those those two mantras was like achieve the effect, but then do it faster and do it better and do it with less computing less power, yeah. you know? And, um, and so that was sort of the, and, and also I was blessed where I was given hard stuff. So it's like, I would be given hard things to do. And so it's just have to learn constantly and, being challenged. Yeah, so you're constantly, yeah. yeah, you're constantly under the gun and you're constantly under a deadline. Um, you know, so it's like, you're in the, the end of a, 12 hour beer pong tournament and you got one cup left, you know, it's like you, if you <laughs> yeah, excel yeah, yeah. in that pressure, you'll, you'll do well in VFX. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, well on the note of just like, you know, those early days, talk to me a little bit about what it's been like to see the evolution of the VFX industries in your time, you know, in the game, because, you know, 
if you look at movies that were made seven years ago, the effects on them were good, but the stuff that they're coming out with today, like y'all are in a really rapidly growing industry where the tech is changing. Yes. Tell me what it's like being in the middle of that evolution. Well, don't get into this industry if you don't like learning. Yeah. <laughs> so Constant. it is. Yes, it's a uh, and for me, like I I like the challenge, but it's it's because we're perpetually having to get better. If we just stayed doing what we were doing three years ago, like we're then we're just staying doing that and yeah. eventually going to fizzle out. So, mm. yeah, uh, the tools now are incredible, and I'm super jealous because we have these artists uh, that are extremely talented. And but they now have uh, push button stuff where we were like, you know, if I had to track something to someone's face and they're grimacing and whatnot, like I'd probably track like their nose, their ears. And so I would get like a 3D track that's just like this solid morphing thing like this. But then as they're grimacing, then I'm having to grid warp the blood or whatever I'm putting on them to like perfectly match the motion of their face. So this is just hours and hours and hours of yeah. just like, you know, the look Tedious. is there. Yeah, you're like dialed in, but it's like, I got it. Okay, now. Oh, that's okay. That's the thing. This, you know. Oh, no, no. Uh, crash. Oh, yeah. come on. You know. Um, where now it's like, oh, we can hit a button. We have a thing called face tracker. You line it up, and they're like, whoa, 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 and it does this. And I'm like, that is just not fair. Yeah. You know, and it looks perfect in like an hour. So um, mm. the tools are better, but you know, there's way more content than there used to be. So we actually we have to get through things faster and that mm. kind of thing. And then mm. yeah, the the CG side is just insane, and it's. Uh, it's growing exponentially, um, and then you know the imp COVID changed everything um, and is created a push to the cloud, mm. and so now everything is is moving cloud. We're actually we're in the process of uh, transitioning our studio to a, a hybrid cloud setup as well, and so you at a click of a button can spool up virtual machines that are then connected to a virtual server um, that you can have artists log into anywhere in the world. And so, and with different types of software. So if you're doing Houdini simulations, that kind of thing, and um, you'll actually be able to spool up multiple machines for that simulation. Mm. Or you're able to get the most bad to the bone computer you could possibly imagine that you're just paying hourly for. As soon mm. as you're done with your sim, delete it. You're not longer, you're not paying for it anymore. Wow. Mm. And so instead of like now, so for instance, right now, if I onboarded an artist, it probably cost me 20 grand in equipment. Because I have to buy a badass computer. Yeah. I have to buy the $10,000 software and then the other $5,000 software and then get everything licensed, you know. And that's before they can come to the office and even sit down, you know, forget their wow. salaries and everything yeah. else on mm. top of that. So growing is tough because it's like, okay, is this person worth it? You know, because you're just, you know, you're essentially buying them a car to use yeah. in, the, in the front end. And so the cloud it's definitely a different pricing structure but your ability to go scale scale down scale scale down so you can project base all of that stuff and your power so you know instead of us having 10 machines rendering a thousand frames i can have a thousand machines render one frame mm. and you get your cg renders back as long as it takes one frame wow. to render that is interesting and so that's the power so when you are dealing in these like heavy deadline driven environments and you have to output you know it costs money but as long as you're billing that appropriately you have the power to as long as it takes one frame to render to output those shots and get them to client and get them over the edge wow and that is really interesting um for like the emoji with the i know I'm exploding like, like that's me right now well and i'm just thinking too like how that could compute too to some of the stuff that even we do um but 
I don't know if I don't know if it really lines up exactly the same, but one of the things that I wanted to ask you, like, because you have so many projects, you know, that you're juggling. Are you custom? Like, are you like? Do you have multiple producers that are going out and helping custom tailor these to the client's needs? How does that process work? So um, once a job comes in, we uh, we develop the system. We actually. Um, we change our system often because, yeah. like, we're like, oh, well, that was new and we screwed that up. So let's try to not yeah. do that again. Yeah. Um, so that's a constant evolution as well is, is process. And so, uh, but yeah, the, the process is essentially the same. Um, if we're going to do a job all the way through, it starts with the script. And so you start with uh, script breakdowns, which is budget estimates and then also shooting assumptions. And so you're working with the, um, the director, the DP. Um, production design on who's doing what and how you're going to achieve. You know, it's like, oh, this guy's supposed to fall off this thing, but we can't go up there, but we could build this over here. And so you're kind of working with like the UPMs and the line producers, you know, who are juggling the overall budget to make sure that everyone's doing their piece and it like falls in line there. So that's the first step. Uh, second step is onset supervision. So it's like we've ironed out the kinks. Now let's just go do it and make sure we all do our jobs. And so onset VFX supervision, pretty fun. I love it. Um, it's a lot of sit around and wait, and then you know you're, you have your big days. And so if it's big VFX sequences, you'll get to direct, which yeah. is awesome. So yeah. VFX supervision is sort of an inline. It for some reason you end up being the second unit director. Like they'll just be like, "Hey, go direct the second unit." Yeah. And you're like, uh, "Okay, sure, you know, great." <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on the large sequences, so it's it's fun when you just all, you know there's 80 people around and you're like running these like big rigs and you know you're like yeah. man actually you know yeah. it's great yeah that's uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, so after that's all said and done, so things go to editorial and um, they'll lock the cut. You always want to get a locked cut before you start VFX so you're not working shots that then get deleted. Yeah, uh, mm. some shows do this. You know if they have infinite money, they'll pay for it and that's fine. Mm. Um, but this is where uh, the, the process is, is pretty tedious. So you develop a naming convention of this is what the shots are going to be called, this is the file formats, this is the color space, this is the LUT, um, this is how many handles we're going to have on each shot, um, this is the type of preview renders we're going to have, this is the type of final renders we're going to have, this is going to be the format of these, the format of these, uh, this is where these go, this is where these go. Wow. The data I.O. security-wise has to go through this channel, and these can go through this channel, and then we're going to do every Friday, we're going to do reviews via Evercast, yada, yada, yada. And so um, what we do is we try to build a pipeline that is as foolproof as possible. So um, Nuke is our primary compositing software, and Nuke Studio is uh, how we set up projects. So when all of that footage comes in, it's generally uh, image sequences, EXR sequences, um, those will load into Nuke Studio. We'll do a transcode, which will create proxies and footage folders, and it also generates our folder structure so that we have like, Here's the shot. Inside the shot is the footage. And then that'll auto-generate a denoised plate. And then that'll auto-generate a proxy. And then um, if we have like paint or roto, we have folders created for that. And then we have project files. So it's like Maya, Houdini, After Effects, Nuke. So all that just boom out of the gate gets made. And then once the and then it also creates all of your uh, ins and outs. So if an artist opens a project, the footage is already in there, and where the final output goes to, it goes to that. Where the preview output, it goes to that. So they're not typing in a file path. They're not changing a color space. They're not changing any of that. It's locked in. And so on top of that is uh, pipeline tools that we create. So the Nuke Studio generates a, a really nice kind of base, but it's like, well, we shot with all these different lenses, which we have lens distortion charts for that we need to undistort and add CG. Wow. So like, we'll add all that in there. They'll add our custom color workflow. 
or this is just a you know 50 blue screen shots. We can add the blue screen workflow. So then we'll have a pipeline tool where it's like you drag in the shot, then you hit a button, and then it goes boom, and then it's like, all right, this is Burning Tractor's like workflow for this show. Wow. wow. That is such a technical, in-depth like process. The systems, yeah, man. Yeah, I just I'm drilling over here because I'm a systems guy. You know, Cinema Story, we we scaled to do, you know, hundreds and hundreds of clients. Uh uh, you know, almost a thousand videos uh, a year. Um, you know, we're getting to that level, and it's, uh, you know, and it's a lot of corporate and commercial stuff. But it's you have to have systems and processes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what I just heard, for you tell me, I'm like, man, I feel like we're in our infancy of systems and processes. You, you definitely have that project flow. Speaking of project um, management, like CRM, do you guys use? You know. Are you using Asana or any kind of communication tools, or is it email and text? And you know? uh, so it's yeah, it's kind of client based. What they like to use. I mean, we literally just started a Discord chat for one of our new ones. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and yeah. I'm like, I don't like this. But <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I like email for internal tracking. Uh, we actually just use Airtable. We just built a really nice Airtable that we like that we find efficient. Because um, there's other things like ShotGrid um, that are, um, you know, it's. 50 bucks an artist or, or whatever, and it'll track everything. But, um, you know, we've, we've kind of built a system that currently is working for us on that side. But again, there's, you know, efficiencies there. But yeah, it's lots of emails. It's sort of like setting uh, intermediary deadlines too, so mm. that we can be left alone. So it's like left alone, do a bunch of work, output a whole bunch, review a large chunk re-ingest all the notes uh, and do that over and over again. And so there's people in play that um, sort of work through that. Because if I was just like, oh, that shot's done, send a client. Oh, this shot's done, send a client. You're going to end up just with a disaster. Yeah, so, it's chaos, yeah. Yeah, so kind of creating uh, milestones along the way for how to ingest notes and creative and have creative consultations at the appropriate times. Yeah, that keeps your artist and you focused in the, mm -hmm. in the right zone. Uh, man, time block. You know, we we yeah. do time blocking and, and stuff like that. Only focusing on certain tasks on certain days, and so I can see, yeah, having a yeah. tight, airtight process keeps your creatives where they need to be, like in that mm -hmm. right headspace. That's awesome, man. And we do we do group reviews too, which I think is a lot of fun. So you know, sometimes it would just be one person watches everything. You know, if like I'm going to be the last thing before it goes out the door, if I have to watch a hundred shots and critique them. But uh, so yeah, we have a big 4K. Um, you know, giant projector screen and everyone sits in there and we create a, a playlist of whatever the week's work and just let each other have it. That's so fun. Oh, that's awesome. It creates such a like team building, like camaraderie too, just with everyone there to like see all the art that everyone's creating, mm -hmm. you know, get to leave feedback and notes on it. It's a, we got to implement that at Cinema Storage. Yeah. That's too, that's, that's too fun. It's cool company yeah. culture, man. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, tell me a little bit about just some of the like common challenges that you guys face that, you know, you guys have to work through. I mean, obviously, you know, there's the art of it, but are there any other like particular challenges that you guys commonly run into? So cybersecurity is always a nightmare. Um, any type of growth, like right now we're going to cloud. And yeah. so that would be really easy if we didn't have cybersecurity. So mm -hmm. we are constantly blocked out of every single step along the way because everything has to be whitelisted a certain way. And so what would be very quick uh, is long and tedious. And we also have to build it in the, with the knowledge that we're going to get audited yeah. and they're going to like let us have it. Mm. Dang. All right. So that's kind of a common challenge. Uh, honestly, like from the business side, it's like saying no. You mm. know, you, mm. you can't. It, it really stinks to have to turn down work. 
And um, when we know the team is overloaded and we know we're stacked and we know we have a bunch of stuff and then a really great opportunity comes in the door, I go, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I go tell the team, I'm like, hey, guys, guess what? Uh, we just got this other thing, but it's going to be great. Everyone's Don't worry. working weekends. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, and that's we, we sort of change our system on on like quotas and things like that. So when we do have multiple things going at once and we have we have overloaded ourselves, uh, the team does respond pretty, pretty well to uh, we start micromanaging deadlines. And so it's not like you have to get this done today, but we'll set. All right, 25 shots on this show this week, 30 shots on this show this week. Mm. And so, and then we'll switch like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this show, and then uh, Thursday, Friday, everyone this show. And um, I feel like that's so much pressure. Like just that many like shots to have to execute in the time frame, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of these, you know, it's like sky replacements are same as shots. Yeah. So, um, you know, simpler stuff. Yeah, but there's always there's always like the big lingerers that it's like, okay, we, at some point we got to do this really hard shot. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so one of the things that I, you know, before we get you out of here and, and get into you know our last five questions, I, I want to add some value to our viewers. If there's somebody listening to this show and they're interested to get in the VFX game. What are some things that you could kind of leave them with to guide them on how to get started in in the industry? Because, you know, as a filmmaker, it's like, hey, pick up a camera and start shooting, right? Sure. Uh, if you're an editor, you know, just start editing. I imagine it's similar to where it's like, get a program and just start. Mm -hmm. But I want to hear just from you being at this point in your career, what's some advice you could give to the up and comer? So it's the real. Um, I'm not looking at your education. Um, especially if you're new, you're not going to have, you know, a resume. You're not going to have right. like, I've worked at these five companies. And so it's your reel. And, um, you know, if you know what you want to do in, in that game, if it's character animation, if it's motion graphics, if it's compositing, um, today, unlike when we were kids, I mean, you can film stuff with your phone. And so I saw something on Twitter the other day with some guy in his backyard and he's like jumping off a trampoline, um, dressed like a star Wars guy. And then he like star Wars up the whole scene. So he showed the before and he showed the after and it's legit. You know, is he tech savvy? Probably not. Does he understand color space? Probably not file formats, you know, all the things, the nitty gritty, but that's fine. The real looks awesome, which you know, that guy can execute. And so then you're just going to show him pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, for, for young kids and that's, you know, some of our best talent, they did not go to college. They've been doing it since they were 14 in high school using after effects. And they were able to walk in and be like, here's my reel. Um, I really want a job. You know, I'm looking for an internship and they're rock stars now. I mean, they are, when I was 30, I was not that good. And I mean, they are just, they're killing the game and, um, but they're passionate. Um, so yes, there are VFX schools. Uh, they cost a lot of money. Um, some of them are going to be far, far behind um, because we have to be up to date with the now and our competitors. The schools are going to be three years back. And depending, you know, I don't want to say anything about the professors, but, you know, so the professors, you may have someone that's like from wherever, but you may have someone that just went through the program at that school that's now teaching it. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so, um, but yeah, I mean, make a, make a killer reel um, and then start reaching out. That's good, man. That's super, super helpful. One thing, uh, two that I wanted to ask you, I was just curious about is you, you know, were a VFX artist yourself for a long time. 
But now you, you know, one of the things that we talk about is the art and business Mm -hmm. of filmmaking. And so I want to know just how, you know, with you managing a company that is outputting this type of, this type of volume, you know, how much do you get a chance to actually do the art still? And what does your relationship look like now with you actually doing the art versus running the business? Sure. Um, so, for instance, uh, a new film that we're going to be working on, I can't say too much about it, but it's called Iron Lung. Uh, it's with uh, Marky Plyer. He's a YouTube star. Um, the teaser that came out, um, I worked on, and I uh, helped create all the logo animation for it. And Ooh. so I did it literally while I was on set, VFX souping. Wow. Um, so I have my computer there. I have all my skill sets and things that I've done, you know, that I know how yeah. to do. And it's like, hey, let's make this thing. Let's make it look cool. And so for me, it's yeah. a it's a blast. So it's like I'm sitting there and I'm actually making creative art. Um, but yeah, so I, I do jump in. Um, I still jump in uh, fairly often. Um, but I, I think it's there's the art of being an artist and making good art. Uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, and then teaching. I love teaching. So I love sitting down with my guys. Um, they're very talented. Um, and so, you know, I'm just offering them experience. It's like, they built this thing and I'm like, well, now I, I more like help them make it more efficient. Or I may know some trick that I learned over the years that I'm like, well, why don't you try this note or this note or this note and see if that works. Um, Mm. and then running a business is an art in itself, you know, so how to make all the pieces work together and the budgets work and and keep it successful and and running. I, I got a follow up question too, because I, you know, it's the art versus business for me, you know, and, and yeah. same as you, I love jumping in and doing the art side. Sometimes I get to write a commercial, sometimes I get to direct a commercial, a broadcast spot, you know, uh, <clears throat> sometimes I'm managing a, a project from start to finish, but I have to operate a business, you know, and, right. and I love what you said. There's an art to it. So I, I'm going to remember that. And, and it, you know, that's a driving force for us too, that we still get to be artists in running a business. But have you brought on anybody? Uh, to help on the business side? Or is it, you know, do you have a COO or like an operations director or even an admin, you know, that kind of thing? What, what's your structure uh, look like there? Yeah, so um, uh, Diane is our executive producer and she is uh, integral in uh, helping me run the business. And so um, a lot of times what will happen is um, I'll get emails and it, it's just me. And so then I'll, you know, it's like, I'll loop Diane in. So it's like, she's making sure the meetings are on time. Uh, she's doing the invoices. She's doing the budget. She's keeping tabs of payroll and accounting and and all of those things so that I can focus on just the creative and just making sure that that everything is still moving and sound. And then, you know, delegation, learning, learning how to delegate. Like mm-hmm. you go from mm-hmm. trying to be like a maverick as an artist. It's like, I'm going to be the absolute best compositor that the world has ever seen. And then realizing that you're much more powerful if you teach three compositors, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that you know. And so, um, you know, being being That's able good. to delegate, knowing when to delegate. So, you know, like right now, I'm going to be jumping in on projects and I'm going to move them so far. And then I will say, OK, you know, you get, this needs to get finished elsewhere because I need to my time is now worth yeah. More time, you know, be, or more elsewhere. So fly, little bird, fly. At that right. point, right? Copy, yeah. paste, repeat. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's great. Okay, and I got one more question. I got to jump yeah. in before we get to these five uh, final yeah, follow-ups. Yeah, yeah. Burning tractor. So you said at the very <laughs> beginning you were on a on a farm. That's how you know this tractor yes. thing came into play. You know, again, I'm a big branding business guy. So burning tractor. Tell us, you know, the the story or sure. the, the reason behind the name. Sure. So. Um, on the farm, we had a, it was a 1967 Minneapolis Moline uh, tractor, and it was just our workhorse out there. And so this is a, it's a big tractor. The back tires are about six feet tall. Um, we had a big 
uh, 15-foot batwing mower, hydraulic mower, so it you know, lays out like this. And uh, so that's what we would use to move hay bales, uh, drag trailers, tear down fences, you know, just whatever. This thing could just run over trees. And um, so my brother went to college. I went to college. Uh, I have a sister. She's about seven years younger. She did not do outside chores. So my parents were like, oh, no, all the help is gone. And so they immediately <laughs> sold all the livestock. And that was it. And so my first summer back from school, the farm looks like it's 50 years older. Like the grass is mm. overgrown. I mean, everything's just like in disarray. And um, so my mom's like, oh, great, you're home. She's like, good. So I want you to get on the tractor and I want you to go mow the back 40 acres. And uh, the grass is dead. It's like this tall. And um, she goes, but she's like, don't run the tractor out of diesel. It has a crack in the diesel tank. Oof. And I was like, okay. And I mean, this is a 1960s tractor. The gas gauge goes like this anyways. Like, you, don't <laughs> yeah. know, you don't know what you got in the tank. And so I'm out there and I'm mowing. And I don't have a phone or anything. And I'm just like, man. I was like, it is hot. I was like, it is hot. <laughs> and I look down. Flames are just coming out of this thing. Oh, my And I'm like, gosh. oh, shit. So I turn it off. Uh, all I have is a Gatorade bottle. And so, like, I run up, and I'm like, Shh, And it's like, <laughs> you know, it just, like, goes up. And so Dang. I'm like, I'm about to burn this pasture down. I'm going to burn the neighbor's pasture down. Mm. You know, this is about to be a situation. I don't have a phone. I got to run through grass this tall, like, a mile mm. to get back to the barn to, you know, call for help. And so I'm like, crap, that's all I can do. So I turn to run. I hear an explosion. Mm. Like turn, look around, and uh, the fire melted through the radiator hose. It's like this big around. And radiator fluid exploded and put the fire out. Wow. Whoa. Uh, So I was like, holy shit. (laughs) It's like, so go home. I tell my mom. I was like, hey, mom. uh, So I was like, I was mowing, and then the tractor caught on fire, and I tried to put it out, but then it burned through the radiator hose, and it exploded, and then the fire put out, so. (laughs) (laughs) Good news, we're okay. Oh, my God. She's like, damn it, Wes. She's like, you're always messing stuff up, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) So um, it turns out it was a bird's nest in the engine that had caught, because it hadn't Mm. been used in forever, and then the whole thing's doused in diesel. Uh, So she told me, she's like, well, go to Tractor Supply Co., get a new radiator hose, put it on, keep mowing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so we named the company Burning Tractor because no matter what happens, we get the job done. Oh, that's a great. Dude, that is so good. Tough farm life, tough mom, yeah, tough get mom. back there, get that pasture mode. Yeah. Bro, Burning I tractor. love, love that story, man. That's so awesome. So. Get the job done. Burning Tractor, man. Super so, cool. Yeah, so our logo, it is the tractor. Oh, wow. That's great. That's awesome, man. Well, dude, I feel like I could ask you a hundred more questions. And if time wasn't against me, I would continue into those. But there are five questions that we like to ask each guest before we wrap them out of here, uh, just in respect to your time. And so I'm going to run through these really quick. But if there is one thing that you could do differently, if you had the chance to do it all over again in your career, what is something that you would do different? It's it's hard to say because the things I would do different are based off knowledge I know now. Yeah. So, right. Um, right. yeah, I would have gone to the cloud first. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? right. laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The the building of infrastructure and and all of that I uh, probably would have done mm-hmm. uh, differently because it was it was so much moving and changing and so it's like this location to this location to this location to this location and then all the investment and all this stuff which in the end uh, isn't going to matter. Mm. Yeah. Man. Um, what is one thing that excites you most about the current film industry? Oh, the uh, it's huge now, so it's never ending. There's so much content; it's never going away. 
even in COVID, where I thought we could die, we didn't. And mm-hmm. yeah. so, you know, it's it's it almost feels job secure, no matter, like, we're in the industry, but no matter, you know, what's happening in the world, what's happening with the economy, oddly enough, because people want to be entertained, we're still going to be working. So... Someone asked me recently just about like, why should people get into the film business or whatever? Just, you know, uh, I got an interview recently and I was like, the industry is bigger than it has ever been before. And the demand has never been higher. The The studios cannot keep up with the demand for content yeah. right now. And so there's just opportunity everywhere. And on the commercial side, I mean, everyone, 100%. and I'll say, I don't know if it's true for you guys, but after 2020, same thing. We were like, oh, are we going to survive this? Like we, we brought on new products, live streams. Like what else can we do that? is virtual Mm -hmm. and 2020 ended up being one of our biggest years yeah and and then after that it's just you know 1.5x up 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 because the demand for commercial and everybody realizes how important media is and to your point everybody still wants to be entertained and i think you know the screens in our hands on our phones and you know just entertainment in general like like you're saying yeah um, but you you find that true after 2020 like it oh. got even busier yeah it's it's even busier and then you know right now there's a writer strike um, yeah. I was so, gonna yeah. ask you how that's affected you so but. for us uh, we're we're probably still gonna do a network show um, and but we had already slated essentially because of coming up in Texas and coming up with Texas film. Um, you know, we have a great network there. So a couple of our larger projects are sort of through that network, which are outside the writer strike. And so it was, we were kind of ter- planning on turning most everything else away anyways, and then mm. the network stuff still come. But then next year, it's probably going to be twice as much work right, because yeah. everything's going to get greenlit again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, film now is crazy. It's just, it's like art engineering like this and the technologies yeah. mm. around it. It's uh, it's a really cool um you know, I, I love it. It's a crazy driving force that, you know, like every day it's like, oh, wow, now, like what, you know, just trying to imagine what's going to be in 10 years. It's yeah. just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. It's insane, man. Um, where, as an industry, are we headed in filmmaking right now, and what should we be focusing on? Oh, uh, well, definitely, you know, digital, cloud, virtual productions, um, all those things are are changing how we're going to work. Um Virtual production, I think, is great. I think when um, the the actual LCD screens themselves, um, the the pixel density is going to start going yeah. down. They're going to be less reflective. Um, that's going to get better and better and better. Um, Unreal Engine is becoming yeah. a new situation. Um, it's interesting for us because in some regards, we can use Unreal now, like working for film, but... The difference between Unreal and what we use with our, our all our different software packages is like we have to make something look exactly like it was filmed with this camera, with this lens, that's a digital film camera. Mm. Unreal Engine looks like a game. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. it will always look like a game. But if I'm doing a car scene where it's a green screen plate inside a car and we're driving through a city and it's all out of focus, I can render that out of Unreal and right. put depth of field on it and use it in the shot mm. potentially much, much faster than if we built that with our traditional thing. So yeah. we have that uh, aspect where it can start being used mm. in, in some of our, our larger scale projects. Yeah. And I, I even wanted to dive into, uh, I, I feel like I have like 20 questions I didn't even get to get to, but, um, like what do y'all ever work with like volume studios and, and 
you know, have a hand in any of that virtual production stuff? We've we've had limited access. Um, we did a virtual production, uh, a scene virtual production with our last um, uh, show that we were on set for, and it was, uh, you know, moderately successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have limitations where when you want to see the world, it, you can't really use virtual production because it has to be out of focus. And so when you're looking for those details of this world, even though you're using it for all of your, like, two shots and whatever – it's great. Um, it works really. It works great for brighter things, especially. Yeah. You know, blacks never get black on a virtual production screen. Right. They're always going to be gray. So, like getting true shadows. Mm. Um, so, in other instances, we've worked with virtual production. Is in things were shot on it, and then it was sent to us, and we're literally rotoing everybody out and replacing the backgrounds. And so, without the proper prep going into a VP world, you need to be on the stage. You need to doing camera tests. You need to be doing environment tests. Because even lighting, if you light it like a game, it doesn't look cinematic. You know, it needs to look like a sunlight, just like bang. So a lot more contrast. Um, you know, it's what you would think would look good on a monitor or what does look good on a monitor doesn't necessarily translate to a virtual production screen yeah. through a camera. Right. Yeah. That's true. Man, that's fascinating. Yeah, something as a DP that I haven't had a chance to do enough of is work in volume you know, studios and whatnot. And the the industry is moving there mm-hmm. like really fast. And it's one of those things that I'm, you know, it, it's such a hard, like there's so much art to filming in volumes that you can mess up a lot of stuff really easily and you have to cut your teeth on it. You know what I mean? Like right. failing forward. Um, and it's something that I, I have to look forward to just to learn as a DP myself. It's a hard space to practice because right. you need to be in one to really get the experience. And that's the thing. Like, they're, how do you practice that? You know what right. I mean? You go get hired for a job and say, yeah, I can figure this out. But just so you know, I've never done this before. Right. Or I've only done this one or two times. And now I have this new complex challenge that I have to overcome. And so, it, I, I mean, it's just working with a team of people that, right. yeah. It's, as a DP, it's not, a, it's not you know, pay, put the light here, do this, do right. this. You have to work with then, you know, the the VP tech. Yep. You know, that's all, and then also the environment artist. Right. And so... You know, it's definitely a different animal. Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to learning in the future and haven't had the opportunity to do yet. I know there's a couple of big studios, too, in Dallas that have them. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully sometime this year or soon I get to try. So (laughs) So if if somebody listening to this, hire Joey for the DP production. Absolutely. Uh, Joey kind of asked this question earlier, but I'm going to ask it again because I think there's still – some advice that you can give to filmmakers that are in general filmmakers in general right uh maybe maybe heading towards the vfx industry what's uh one piece of advice you would give them either on the art or the business side you know you talked about you know make a really dope reel uh get in those doors but is there any other advice you would give to somebody starting out in the industry even on a business side uh, uh, or the art side uh don't get discouraged and and learn you know it's it's you if you don't get discouraged or if discouragement is used as your motivation to keep pushing, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so many people are are fragile and to be successful in this industry, you know, it is, it's not like I need a DP. I want this guy, you know? And so there is that aspect of film or it's like, I want this company where you are, you're kind of breaking your name in as an artist and so, you know, never burn the bridge. You don't know where that's going to lead later on. Um, business is business. And you want to continue, like, 
you may have something that sort of went south this, but you got it done. This person's probably going to call you again. You know, you never want to, you never want to burn those businesses and you never want to think that even if you're growing and then you're working for someone who's at the beginning again, you don't want to think that they're not going to ever be there, you know? And so paying respect to um, the up and comers as well as paying respect to the people that have been there. Yeah. Those are three great pieces of advice. That's 100%. awesome. And it's applicable to people too, even um, outside of the VFX world too, because there's a lot of, you know, discouragement even as an up and coming cinematographer or or a you know, regular editor, a director, whatever it is that you're doing that you have to overcome as well. Right. And and I think as you become better, um, being willing to show others the way, mm. um, you're not creating competitors. I mean, you may in the end create competitors, but at that same time, you're building relationships and you're building positive network and people remember people that make them feel good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've mm-hmm. said it before on the podcast. People don't always remember everything that you say, but they remember how they made you feel mm-hmm. and how you make people feel. And that process is huge, man. And it this this whole industry is about who you know, not necessarily every, not just what you know. Right. And, and it, it, it's proven true for Wes if you listen to his story, right? Like him being a part of those eighty people that broke off and went to all the different studios, and you know that's what got him back in into the game in Austin and and got a lot of the. I mean, people knocking at your door. So, man, yeah, you gotta you gotta work on those relationships and those networks. Who is one filmmaker that you admire and why? Oh man, uh, actually, um, past supervisor that I that I just got to work with, uh, this guy named Robert Legato, and um, they're the ones that pulled us in on Emancipation. Mm. Um, it was a it was an Apple original, and Robert Legato was in charge of. Uh, he's essentially the, the VFX supervisor. I think he was second unit director. Um, so he was in charge of like finding all the different vendors and kind of piecing that conglomerate monster yeah. together. And um, uh, they, uh, were, our name was thrown to him and he chose us. And so that was fantastic. Um, and then they, he was actually the guy that came back. Um, he was supervising air. And so that's how they, they enjoyed working with us there. But so, um, I mean, this guy was on Titanic. God, like, I mean, we're we're talking, you know, old school. Oh, like, like, yeah, his language totally different. Uh, he uses the word print a lot. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, this isn't printed right. I'm like, what? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but extremely technical, uh, knowledgeable. Um, you know, definitely. Uh, you know, it's yeah. like our, our parents' age essentially, and he's in Unreal Five. You know, wow. And he's in Resolve, and he's in everything, and he's better at it. And I'm like, I know this stuff. And yeah. he's, he's like crushing me in it. You Dang. Know? Wow. Um, and so he's like staying up with the tech, um, yeah. extremely creative, you know, and then that much experience. Uh, so I, I learned a lot uh, working with him and just, you know, admirable that he's done it for so long and is still at the top. Because I, I feel like some some people, it's, you know, once they become like executive producers or whatnot, it's, it's not really the craft of them anymore. It is kind of the business. And this guy is definitely... Still in the craft. I love that. It's uh, inspiring for sure. I love that, man. There, I before I wrap you out of here, I gotta know what was it like on Emancipation and and Air, the two big films that you've recently worked on. Tell me a little bit about just those films. Sure. Uh, before we get you out of here, man. Uh, Emancipation was actually like, um, we were sort of an afterthought as far as one of the yeah. vendors. So you know, it was filmed in the can, the whole thing, mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
they're like, hey, can you knock these sequences out? And we were we we're like, sure. And we're like, what's the deadline? And they told us it was like four or five months away. You know, I was expecting three weeks or something. And so, um, yeah, we kind of worked the shots and then we sent them and they were approved. I mean, we V1, V2'd uh, most of the work we did on emancipation. Wow. We, had, we had a couple challenging things with some animals where we had to do some uh, fun stuff. And, you know, there were a couple that, that went through the paces a bit. But, uh, yeah, really smooth. You know, really, really smooth show. Um, air... Uh, was air was a situation. Um, <laughs> so what we did on air, primarily uh, set extension work. And so uh, I was filmed in Pasadena. And so the Nike headquarters is based in Portland, Oregon. And so that's what we're trying to show is it looks like it's in Portland, Oregon in 1985. And yeah. so they had all these drone shots and exterior shots of that building. Uh, same thing, Converse is supposed to be in Massachusetts. Uh, and then Adidas, they didn't even film at all. So it's just fully CG. Mm. And so the majority of our work was like doing these set extensions and um i don't want to say too much but it's the the note chain we would get it would it'd be like okay uh so we're gonna add a converse sign to this building so we do that so that's version one and they're like oh actually uh make this road half as wide so that's version two and then actually make the parking lot half as big uh, that's mm. version three okay can we add trees to this and so you know we got to version 25 on that show wow. but it was creative changes you know that would just get iterated and iterated yeah. Um, you know, something we could have done the first round, but, mm. you know, as the show progressed and people would view it, um, you would get different, uh, sets of eyes on things and, yeah. you know, more notes and more notes. And so we actually, we worked on that one for quite a bit of time. Yeah. Um, and I had no yeah. idea it was going to be as big as it was. So the Super Bowl come out and the trailers in the Super Bowl, it's like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> you know, um, That's so cool. I don't really get into the, uh, you know, I don't get starstruck yeah. really at all. And, uh, you know, I, we watch the stuff we work on, but, you know, a lot of times we're sick of it because, you know, we'll be on a project nine months or right. something. Mm -hmm. um, but Air, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed, loved the story. Uh, it was really cool seeing it out there in the world now. So, yeah. And something we're really proud of, too. That's mm -hmm. awesome, man. Congrats. Well, before yes. Joey wraps this out, I got to say, uh, you know, going back how I met you, uh, you and I worked on a show called The Crimson or a short film. And I was back, that was back when I was DPing still. And I remember just having, I just have to say, having Wes on set, you know, VFX souping that put me at ease because I didn't know what I was doing at all. Yeah. You know, and I was like, we we're trying to do this scene and maybe we'll show it um, where there's like this, you know, blast effect. I, I, I have the shot in, on, on our reels thing. I'll send it to you. Oh, that's I, awesome. I have it. So yeah, cool. that's cool. So, yeah, it, that's it made the reel. That's sick, yeah. man. Yeah, so it's this really cool uh, shot. And I remember, you know, uh, Wes, through the whole process, man, he did a lot of, you know, consults with me before. And then I think at some point he was like, do you want to just, you know, this is, this is a low budget, you know, short film. This is way back in the day. And uh, Wes was like, "You want me to just come out there and you know VFX supervise?" And I'm like, "Oh, that would that would be so good, man! I'm so <laughs> nervous that this shot is not. I'm not going to execute what the director wants on this." And uh, he came out. It was in the middle of the night. I feel like because we yeah. had to shoot at night. You know, we had a moon. Uh, you know, flew the moon and had you know a bunch of people out on set. I'm up on a crane shooting down into this ravine. And I remember after like a little, uh, you know, after Wes and I are talking through a couple of things and. You know, we're talking about like, do we need a plate? Do we need this? And he's like, I got it. I got this all handed. Yeah. He 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 knew what it was going. He yeah. just made totally calm the whole time. And you know, I'm over there sweating. Like, is this gonna <laughs> is gonna work? But anyways, all that to say, uh, the shot turned out fantastic. When I got to see the shot, I was just like, I helped make this. I mean, Wes yeah. basically made most of it, but this is awesome. Right. So highly yeah. recommend Wes with uh, 
um, my experience, uh, and I think we've done a couple of things together. Yeah. And then Joey and you, uh, uh, Joey, I mean, same exact experience yeah. for me, where I was like, "Dude, I don't know how you're gonna turn this into what the director is looking for." And he's like, "Fly a blue twelve by. That's all we need." And like, <laughs> and the talent barely even like fit inside of this. And he's like, "Don't worry about it." And just like cool as a cucumber, and uh, got the final shot back. And I was like. Mic drop moment, man. And, and this cool. is Washington's Armor. Says so you didn't name drop it. I'll name yeah, drop yeah, yeah. Washington's Armor, the first uh, uh, feature film Joey DP'd. And yeah. we'll throw that, uh, hopefully, we can throw that clip up or maybe even yeah. the, uh, I think I saw a really cool like comparison, like you before and after. Like, yeah. The official the comparison. Yeah, I, I, have those, uh, I have those broken down. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So fun, man. Yeah. Well, Wes, it has been an honor to have you in the studio, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything before we wrap you out of here that I didn't ask you or that you want to say or leave the audience before... We we close out, man. I don't know. I think you. I think you covered most of it. Cool. Uh, you know, I just to this day, it's just you know, it's humbling. You know, it's it's yeah. nice being here. It's uh, the business is incredible. Kind of wake up every morning, pinch myself these days. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. How can people get connected with you, Wes, oh, and your uh, company? Sure. Um, so burningtractor.com, burning like a fire tractor, like a uh, a farm tractor. So yeah, <laughs> www.burningtractor.com. Uh, that's the best way, and uh, we have a, a contact on there, and so it'll send you to, I think it's contact at burningtractor.com or info, but uh, you can see some of the shows we worked on um, and some of the reels and, and stuff on the site, so yeah. That's, that's awesome. awesome. We'll put the link in the description on YouTube, and if you're listening on the podcast, we'll include it there too. Yeah, so awesome, man. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us today. If you are listening in, be sure to give us uh, at the Rough Cut Club a like, follow, subscribe, smash that like button, uh, all that good uh, <laughs> cringy stuff that I can say at the end there. So anyway, <laughs> thank oh, you. and before we wrap out, Wes, so I gotta I gotta add one more thing. The, I, this could be a challenge for the Rough Cut Club. Joey's like panicking. What I'm like about to what's say happening here. here. These T-shirts, are there any of these T-shirts that you created out in the world? Like maybe yes. at thrift stores or something? <laughs> oh, like, uh, possibly. Um, Tell I mean, us one design or a couple of designs. Uh, cat astronaut. I mean, we did the, the castronauts, you know. The so castronauts? My, my parents had like nine cats. That was the first thing I did is I yeah. took pictures of them. I made them astronauts. You know, that's a thing. But, I mean, they are fire like, oh my gosh if, so if you're good. listening to this uh if you find the castronauts t-shirt okay put it on take a picture tag us on instagram tag west tag tag at the rough cut club and uh maybe we'll send you a little something from the rough cut club so yeah. awesome man. doc doc castronaut that was a top seller on amazon <laughs> i love it man thank you so much again for your time man this has been a great episode and we will catch you guys later cheers